Hello, welcome to my secret obsession. I'm Cherish Lively, and today we are reading Avenging Kiss. It's the second book in the Savage Security series. Romantic and complex, this psychological thriller delivers twists and turns as you get a peek into each character's perspective. Readers are saying, this book has everything, action, mystery, revenge, and romance. It's a great follow-up to Blood Kiss. So, get comfy, turn up the volume, and let's read a book. Chapter 10 Aditya pulled into the parking garage and parked. She locked her car and headed for the sidewalk. Her breath puffed before her in the cold air. The sun shone bright even though the temperatures had fallen. That was not unusual in this part of the country. The nation's capital had brutally hot, humid summers, but still got slammed by snow and ice in the winter. Pulling her coat tighter around her body, she stopped at the intersection. The pedestrian sign was lit, with the hand up, telling her to wait. She looked both ways, ensuring that the road was clear, and walked with determination towards her destination. The neighborhood was low rent and the buildings were grungy. Some sort of grimy haze covered many of the storefront windows. Apparently, the store owners were not overly concerned with appearances. A few men stood on corners, smoking, drinking, and probably selling drugs. She huffed out of breath in disgust at the sight of them. She hated drugs. Drugs destroyed the lives of people too weak or too dumb to avoid them. And drugs funded terrorism. She hated to think about her sister like that. Weak, stupid, and vulnerable. But Rhea had known the dangers of drugs. They had been raised better, but it hadn't mattered. When the opportunity arose, Rhea experimented. It didn't take long for her to get hooked, and then her life spiraled out of control. Well, Aditya was now in control. She may not have been able to save her sister, but she was going to get justice for Rhea. That's what consumed Aditya's life now. She didn't see herself as a vengeful person. No, she saw herself as a punisher, a hero for the underdog. She punished men who abused and sold women. She punished men who facilitated the abuse of the weak or the stupid. If she died saving people from the wolves of society, she'd die happy. Her life had purpose, and she wouldn't waste it. As she passed storefronts and alleys, the strong stench of urine irritated her nose. She wanted to breathe in through her mouth, but that grossed her out too. Would she breathe microscopic urine droplets into her lungs? She glanced at the homeless man curled up on the stoop in front of the doorway. His gray hair was matted, and a scraggly beard covered his face. His cheeks above his beard were red, either from too much alcohol or sunburn. He reeked of alcohol and mumbled unintelligently. Aditya wasn't a monster. She pitied the man. He was probably mentally ill, which had left him helpless. He was a victim of his own mind, and sadly, society had failed him. She walked on and came to the restaurant. Pulling open the door, she stepped inside Sultan's Feast. A scattering of people sat at worn tables and chairs. A large mural of men on horseback hunting gazelles took up one wall. The other walls were bright saffron. The delicious aroma of pita bread and pungent spices filled the air. As she walked past the patrons, she recognized several different languages. The restaurant was one of the best places in this low-income area. However, 
A few blocks south was the outer edge of the revitalization project that residents of the city hoped would improve the economy and living standards in this side of town. She likened it to the growth of neighborhoods in rural counties. As the green spaces and forests were torn down to provide land for homes, the animals were forced to find new homes. That's what would happen to the poor and homeless in this area. As the neighborhood improved, they would be displaced. The lost and discarded would be forced to find new hideaways. She walked to the back of the restaurant and went down the little hallway that led to the restrooms. She noted the kitchen staff through the tiny window in one of the doors. They worked in a hurried fashion and talked loudly. She passed the women's restroom and knocked on an unlabeled door. A Middle Eastern man opened the door. The burly man took his time looking her over. She wasn't sure why he took so long in his inspection. She was modestly dressed with a bulky coat that covered her form. She figured he was letting his imagination play out what she hid under her clothes. Welcome, he said. His voice was deep and scratchy and not at all welcoming. He stepped to the side and motioned with his hand down the stairwell. Aditya met his eyes, her courage and confidence surely annoying him, and started down the stairs. She slipped her hand into her coat pocket and fingered the switchblade. If he tried anything, he'd meet the same fate as other stupid men. She came to the bottom of the stairs and stopped. She recognized this man. His name was Adil. She liked him no better than the one who welcomed her down the stairs. Adil was a coward pretending to be courageous. She knew he could thump his chest like a dumb gorilla, but he'd cower and hide at the slightest threat. Were you followed? Adil asked. He nervously rolled the ends of his splotchy gray beard between his fingers. He didn't like working with women. They were bad luck, unreliable, and moody. She ignored his question for a moment and took in the room. There was no exit that she saw except the stairs. A chintzy car table was set up with four foldable chairs circling it. A bright light shone down on the ceiling and hung directly over the car table. She stifled a laugh at the looks of it. It reminded her of the played-out interrogation scene from every spy movie she'd ever seen. The walls were lined with shelves and boxes. Some boxes had locks on them. She assumed that guns and ammunition took up residence in most of these boxes. Ingredients also lined the shelves. Huge bags of flour sat on the floor in faint circles of white. She wanted to laugh at the stupidity of storing explosives with food. Some people just didn't think things through. Perhaps she'd have to report them to the health department. No, she stared back at Adil. Were you? She bit the words out. She needed to establish her position from the beginning. If he thought she would submit to him... She'd have a more difficult time working with him. She also needed to be careful not to insult him, or he'd become useless. He would stubbornly disagree and cause trouble out of spite. There was a fine line that she had to toe in order to be successful with these type of men. Aditya was brilliant. She knew it. But in the culture she dealt with, women were regularly underappreciated and assumed intellectually inferior. This was a challenge that frustrated her, but she'd learned to use it to her advantage. She saw problems and solutions easily, while others around her seemed oblivious to issues or helpless to resolve them. Some may consider her arrogant, but she liked the descriptor, 
confident better. She did her best to look at things optimistically. It surprised her how men struggled to recognize the threat she posed. She seldom underestimated her enemy. That was how one ended up dead. Having a high IQ had its own challenges. Most of the time, she literally was the smartest person in the room. But she'd enjoyed her time with Logan yesterday. He was her intellectual equal. That was not something that happened frequently. She often took on a persona that she knew would draw the man in. That was easy. Men's brains seemed to shut down and focus on getting laid when a woman was around. But yesterday, with Logan, she'd actually shown him more of her true self than she'd ever shown to another man. Adele sputtered in shock at her question. I wasn't followed. Besides, I'm supposed to be here. This is my brother's restaurant. Then congratulations, she said with a smile. I heard many praises for the excellent food as I made my way through the restaurant. Adil pressed his lips together. He wasn't sure if she was being sincere or mocking him. We do things right in our family, or we don't do them at all. That's good to hear, Aditya said with a cool smile. She undid the buttons on her coat and slipped it free from her shoulders. Then she casually draped it over the back of one of the folding chairs. Glancing around the room, she took off her scarf and draped it over her coat. She typically didn't wear scarves. Too dangerous. Scarves could be easily turned into a threat for the wearer. But she decided to bring one today. She could reach it easily if needed, and it could be useful if she needed to cut off someone's airway or subdue them. Adil stared at her as she took off her coat. He liked her body. It was small, which meant she could be easily overpowered. Her breasts were on the small side, but they were big enough. He could easily wrap his hands around them and squeeze until her nipples hardened. Her shirt clung just enough that he could tell she had a flat stomach. She pulled out one of the folding chairs and sat. She crossed her legs, making the small gun hidden in her boot more accessible. She saw Adil's approval of her body in his eyes. Lust filled them. His brain had already shut down. So typical. Adil sat across from her. He wanted direct line of sight to her. She was beautiful, with her dark curls hanging over her shoulders and bronze skin. Her lips were made to be tasted. He let his mind wander to all the things he wanted her lips to do to him. The minutes passed in silence as they waited. She glanced at her watch. Hazim was late. Not a good sign. His lateness either showed his incompetence or was a pathetic attempt to usurp authority over them. She could do this without them, but that would be more dangerous. They made the perfect scapegoats. She could fulfill her goals and get away clear, letting them take the blame. No one would ever suspect her. They never did. Footsteps sounded on the stairs. Adil got up from the chair and moved towards the stairs. Welcome, he said with a little bow to Azim. He respected the man and hoped they could work together again in the future. Hazim stepped off the bottom stair and looked around. His eyes landed on her first. She was beautiful, just like her sister. He'd fuck her if he ever got the chance. Hello, he said. He smiled as he walked towards her. It's been a while. 
Aditya rose from the chair in greeting. Just as she expected, he wore American clothes and kept his beard trimmed nicely. She noted Adil hadn't asked him if he'd been followed. That told her the dominance between the men was already established. Please, sit. Hazim signaled to the chair, and we can begin. He could sweet-talk her if needed. Her assistance in this operation would be useful. She sat, which she would have even if he hadn't given her permission. She may be Rhea's sister, but she wasn't Rhea. She didn't obey men in order to feel closer to God. But the fact that he thought he'd given her permission said a lot about him. He also hadn't apologized or given an excuse for his tardiness. Adil said nothing as Hazim took the seat across from Aditya. Apparently, he wanted to look at her too. Adil now sat at the side of the table between the two of them. Hazim cleared his throat and set his satchel on the table. He methodically rummaged through the satchel and pulled out a file. Placing the file on the table, he closed the satchel and set it on the empty chair. Aditya watched his robotic movements with interest. He was orderly and precise. He conserved his movements to only the necessary actions. It was clear that he was doing his best to be professional. Hazim folded his hands on top of the folder and looked Aditya in the eyes. I'm sorry for your loss. I loved Rhea. We wanted a family together. The loss of Rhea haunted him daily. He missed the way her laugh eased his stress and her hands worked out the kinks in his muscles. They made love daily, exploring each other's bodies, always learning something new. But the night of the bombing changed everything. It ripped the only light from his life and left him wandering in darkness. The darkness haunted him in his dreams and turned him into a vengeful creature. Aditya set her hands on the table, mirroring his actions. Thank you. She didn't want the image of him loving Rhea in her head. He was the man who got Rhea hooked on drugs and then took advantage of her body. As far as she was concerned, it was his fault that Rhea was dead. He'd been nothing but a controlling drug pusher who manipulated his sister. As I am sorry for your loss, she replied meekly. She could play this game. He already saw her as inferior, and she'd use that to her advantage. Rhea wrote and told me of the love you shared, Aditya began. Thank you for taking care of her for so long. You protected her from the harsh realities of life that surrounded her. The harsh realities of life he'd sucked her into. A life living in a terrorist training camp, surrounded by the opium that funded their wars. Hazim had met Rhea at college. He loved her carefree spirit and optimism. But her beauty had transfixed him. He would have done anything for her. We were married. Did she tell you that? He raised an eyebrow and looked for her reaction. Yes. Aditya cried the day she read the email from Rhea proclaiming her marriage to Hazim. She naively believed that Hazim could love her as men did in fairy tales. That was one thing about Rhea she wished she could change. Rhea's naivete, her innocence and optimism, had left her vulnerable, and the wrong man had noticed. She loved you greatly, Aditya replied. Hazim smiled and nodded his head. She had loved him. 
She'd supported and encouraged him through their trials. She'd encouraged him with her words and expressed her love through her body. Then through unity, we shall bring justice to the man who killed her, Hazim said. Justice, Aditya said. The words speed on her lips. That's what I seek. She pointed to the folder that lay on the table. What information do you have? Hazim looked to Adil and tapped the folder with his index finger. Adil laid the groundwork for us. Hazim gestured to Adil. He researched and followed the men over the course of months. They are none the wiser. Adil smiled at the praise. When he first started tailing the men, he'd been nervous, but he was always careful. He always stayed several cars back from them and switched vehicles regularly. He also never followed the same man more than twice in a week. Hazim slid the folder across the table to her. She met his eyes and then opened the folder and flipped through the pages. Each page had a photo and brief biography on the men and noted some of their habits. This was good work, but she could do better. She'd always been able to worm her way into a man's inner circle, win his trust, and then disappear when she was done. This is a wonderful beginning. Beginning? Hazim interrupted. His eyebrows rose in anger. He leaned forward and pushed his finger into the table above the folder that she read. You denigrate what we have accomplished when you've done nothing so far? She tilted her head as she thought of her reply. Men like Hazim and Adil were so touchy. Any remark could be interpreted as an assault on their manhood. It is excellent work, if all we want is information that we could find on the internet. But we need more than that. We need to understand how they think, what they believe, and what's important to them before we can use it against them. Hazim snorted. We can go forward without you if you'd like. The threat hung there between them. He wanted her to submit, but he didn't think she was the submitting kind. Aditya gave a curt nod and smile. Perhaps we are not destined to be partners. He wasn't going to let her walk, but he refused to show weakness, so he called her bluff. He dismissively waved his hand in the air and said, So it appears. He pushed back his chair and stood. He gestured with his hand towards the stairs. You may go. She hid her laugh at his display of bravado. He'd stood to full height in an attempt to intimidate her, and then dismissed her, as if she needed his permission to leave. Aditya stood and folded her coat and scarf over her arm. She'd wait until she was outside to don the winter coat. She didn't want the excess bulk covering her in case she needed to defend herself. Thank you, she said politely. Good luck on your mission. She turned and started up the stairs. Hazim watched in shock as she turned and headed for the stairs. Was she stupid enough to think that she could do this without him? He needed to think quickly and get her ass back in the chair. He stepped closer to the stairs and said, Rhea was pregnant. If it was a girl, she wanted to name her after you. Aditya stopped halfway up and looked over her shoulder. She was careful not to let the man at the top of the stairs out of her periphery. Was it true that Rhea had been pregnant? Probably not. Rhea would have told her. Then we must avenge the men for the murder of an unborn child, she replied. We? 
Hazim asked with one eyebrow raised in curiosity. Does that mean you want to work with us? He extended a hand to her. You may walk down those steps again. We can resume our planning. There he was again, acting as if he was giving her permission. How her sister put up with his shit was beyond her. She did plan to use him as a scapegoat, and it would be easier to set him up if she knew his movements. He wasn't getting away with his part in Rhea's death. If you are willing, I'd like to work with you. I think both of us bring different strengths to the situation. Hazim knew exactly what strengths she brought to the table. He didn't look forward to working with her. He hated her already. She was clearly a bitch who did her best work between her legs. Chapter 11 Mike and Jack drove from Trellis to the closest superstore for lunch. The bakery there made great sandwiches along with some simple sides. The deal was too good to pass up. The men walked through the store towards the bakery. At this time of day, most of the shoppers were women with children toddling alongside or sitting restlessly in the cart. Occasionally, the shrieks of toddlers mid-tantrum tore at their eardrums. Mike tapped Jack's shoulder. I'm going to hit the head. Give me the usual. I'll meet you at the bakery. Mike peeled off and made his way to the bathroom. Jack gave a nod and stepped up to the counter. He ordered their usual sandwiches with a side of macaroni and cheese for him and a side of pasta salad for Mike. With their items on the tray, he found the table that looked the cleanest and sat down. As he brought a sandwich to his mouth, he recognized someone. His heart did a silly thing. It sped up. He froze. A woman who looked like Bella disappeared down the shopping aisle. Was it really her? He didn't know why she'd be here. She never ate lunch out. She always brought her lunch to work and ate in the kitchen. He looked around. Mike had just exited the restroom, but he was still halfway across the store. Jack decided to leave their food and see if the woman was Bella. If it was her, he'd invite her to sit with them and eat lunch. Walking down the aisle, he headed in her direction, but she turned down another aisle. Jack hurried towards her and caught a glance of her as he strode down the aisle perpendicular to where she stood. He considered calling out to her, but then reconsidered when he realized that she was in the feminine hygiene aisle. Shit. No woman wanted a co-worker hitting on her in front of the tampons. Mike saw Jack get up from the table and take off down an aisle. What the hell? He'd left their food on the table. Mike debated staying with the food, but then reconsidered. If Jack had left his lunch, then whatever he saw was important. Bella hated this. She'd squirmed through most of the morning and decided that she wasn't waiting until evening. She didn't get this very often, but it was literally a pain in the ass when she did. Jack watched her scan the items. He was going to walk away, give her some privacy, but then he walked into a wall of muscle. Stepping back, he stared hard into Mike's concerned eyes. Jack's finger went to his lips to motion quiet as he signaled Mike to move. The men moved in unison and came to a stop behind the end cap that hid them. Mike gestured with his hand and mouthed, What? Had Jack seen a man from their past? A man they'd hunted? Jack mouthed, Bella. Mike cocked his head in frustration and mouthed, Dude. He motioned with his hands and whispered, What the hell? I wanted to ask her to eat with us. Mike peeked over the shelving and spotted her. 
Jack was right. That woman was definitely Bella. You look like a creepy stalker. I'm not stalking her, Jack rolled his eyes, something he didn't do that often. Then he jerked his thumb and mouthed, let's go. As he walked past the aisle she was in, he'd noticed that she'd turned her back on the pads and tampons and picked up a different kind of box. Jack's heart constricted. He forgot to breathe. He hid behind the end cap and watched her as Mike came to a sudden stop behind him. She read the box and glanced at the other boxes on the shelves. There were too many to choose from. Lubricated, ribbed, thin, ultra-thin. Did you sacrifice efficacy by going thinner? Ultra-thin sounded ultra-dangerous. Jack felt sick. He knew far too well what condoms were for, and he didn't like the idea of her needing them. She shook her head and put the box back on the shelf. She'd never bought condoms before. All the guys she'd been with had them. Didn't most guys walk around with those things in their wallets? The overconfident probably carried more than one. She didn't know why she was looking at them anyway. Condoms weren't what she'd come for. She had a bigger problem to solve right now. And if she didn't fix that problem, she wouldn't need the condoms. Jack breathed again as she set the box down. Then a hard finger tapped relentlessly on his shoulder. He turned and met Mike's angry eyes. You have a problem, Mike mouthed. He motioned with his thumb over his shoulder. Let's go. We look weird. He darted his eyes to the side. An older woman with curly white hair stared at them. One of her eyebrows was raised and her lips were pressed together in a tight line. Mike didn't like her stare. She reminded him of his first grade teacher. That woman had relished squashing happiness and the love of life out of powerless children. Jack did have a problem, and his name was Eric James. What the hell kind of parent gives their kid two first names? Although the parents couldn't do much about the last name being a first name, life just sucked for some people. Jack smiled at the old woman, trying his best to use charm and act nonchalant. She cocked her head a fraction, as if acknowledging him, and narrowed her eyes at him the way only a crabby old woman could. Jack smiled again at the old woman and then looked over the end cap at Bella. Bella walked farther down the aisle and stopped in front of the yeast infection medications. The boxes were confusing. The ovules ranged from one day to three day, and then seven day. Who in their right mind would choose the seven-day cure when there was a one-day cure? Jack hadn't felt so relieved in a long time. Air easily flowed in and out of his lungs. She had a yeast infection. That was perfect. In his twisted mind, that was a good thing. He turned back to Mike and whispered, Let's go. He couldn't help but smile on his way back to his food. Mike's eyebrows pulled together when he noted the twinkle in Jack's eye. He wasn't sure what suddenly had Jack in such a good mood. He nodded to the old woman who still stared at them, one hand on her cart and the other on her purse strap. They made their way back to the table, relieved their food still sat there. Apparently, the cafe workers weren't overly ambitious when it came to keeping the tables clean. Jack sat where he could observe the patrons as they exited the checkout counters. There were two exits, one on each side of the store. He wasn't sure which one Bella would use. As much as he wanted to talk to her, he didn't want to risk embarrassing her. That would only work against him. Bella huffed and grabbed the store brand, One Day Cure. 
She couldn't wait to get back to work. She needed that itch cream like a junkie needed his next hit. She paid and grabbed the plastic bag that contained her sanity and headed towards the exit. She adjusted a purse strap on her shoulder and glanced around. Nerves flooded through her when she saw Jack. He was staring at her. What is he doing here? She didn't want to go up to them, holding her see-through bag of feminine products. So she politely waved and beelined it out the exit. Jack read Bella's body language as she fled the store. Knowing that she saw him and didn't come over to say hi cut a little chunk out of his heart. But then again, she was holding a bag of girl stuff. Maybe she wanted to say hi but was too embarrassed. He sighed, embarrassed that he was thinking like a 13-year-old prepubescent boy instead of a take-charge man. Mike threw away the trash while Jack refilled his drink. They met again at the exit and made their way to Mike's truck. Mike slid behind the wheel as Jack buckled up. He set his wrist on the top of the steering wheel and turned his head to look at Jack. Look, man, that was weird in there. Please tell me that you grasp that. Maybe Jack really did have a problem. Okay, Jack had to admit it was a little weird, but he hadn't planned it that way. It just happened. It started with the innocent desire to invite her to lunch, and then he got sucked into her looking at condoms. He couldn't help that she bought that other stuff, and that made it awkward to say anything to her. Yeah, it was a little weird, Jack agreed, nodding his head. <sighs> Mike huffed. A little? Mike started the truck and pulled out of the parking space. He glanced at Jack, curious why he was flashing that blinding smile. What's with the smile? Jack rested his arm on the passenger door and put his other hand on his knee as he rotated his torso to look at Mike. We have time. Excitement laced his words. This gives me a few days. Mike thought about it, and it didn't make any sense. What gives you time? Explain. You sound like a crazy man. Jack flicked his wrist and added confidently, She's got a yeast infection. She's not having sex with anyone right now. He couldn't help but smile. I can dig into Eric's background and make sure he's legit. Mike chuckled, his shoulders shaking. How do you know she hasn't already had sex with him? He didn't know if they'd had sex, but the probability was good that they hadn't. Well, first, she was looking at condoms. If they'd had sex, they'd already have the condoms. Maybe they used them all up, Mike offered in reply. He couldn't help that one side of his mouth curved into a smile. If that were true, then she wouldn't be debating over what kind to buy. Second, she has a yeast infection. Jack said, motioning with his hands for emphasis, No sane man puts his cock in anything that's foaming at the mouth. Mike laughed out loud and shook his head as he stared at the road. When his laugh finally subsided... He turned his head to Jack. In a serious voice, he said, So, you're saying there is a muff too tough? You're an ass, Jack stated. You're just trying to piss me off. Busted, Mike laughed. But for real, whatever you do, don't let her know that you were happy that she had a yeast infection. Chicks consider that an unpardonable sin. What? Jack glared at Mike. You think I'm an idiot? I'm reserving judgment, was Mike's reply. I hope you enjoyed chapters one and two of Avenging Kiss. I am so excited to share this novel with you. It's one of my favorites. 
If you have not had a chance to listen to Blood Kiss, you may want to do that. It can be found in episodes 27 through 37. However, this book stands on its own. To keep up with the various novels and authors that we will feature, you can follow My Secret Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Cherish Lively, or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash Cherish Lively. 